The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 228. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you want to support the Brian McClanahan Show, go to brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll see a button that says support. You can click on that. You can throw a few bucks my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Also under that support button now, when you click on that, you can purchase book plates if you want to have an autograph on your Brian McClanahan book, whether it's Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, etc. But Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution, Pig to the Founding Fathers, whatever it is, Pig to Real American Heroes, you can order those. They're five bucks each, uh, and I'll sign it, send it to you, and you've got my autograph on a book. It's easier than, than, doing, than selling the books themselves. So you got your own copy. Go on out there and get it. I'll sign the book plate. Great way to support the show. You can also support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. Don't forget that. Always free to enroll. When you do enroll, if you haven't done so yet, when you do enroll, you'll get an email from me immediately once you enroll. And in that email, you will have a free gift. So, and it's an awesome gift, by the way. So you want to go out to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll for free. When you do enroll, you get that free gift and you get the best deals on forthcoming courses. And I will have at least two more courses this year. And so you're going to want to get those deals. I mean, this is a, this is something that's a no-brainer. And of course, by buying a class, I have six classes for sale now. You support the Brian McClanahan Show. So it's a win-win. Uh, you can also go to that webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook. Um, so you get on that list as well. A lot of great stuff there. You can get my Brian McClanahan Show logo on your gear if you click on the shop button on my page. All kinds of ways to support the Brian McClanahan Show. And, of course, also learn true, T-R-U-E, history.com. Learn true, history.com. You can go there, purchase a subscription to Liberty Classroom. That is my affiliate link, Learn True History. You can support the show that way. A lot of great professors there. Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, yours truly, Philosophy, history, economics. So it's uh, you know my my stuff. McClanahan Academy is all history, but in learn true history, you've also got economics and philosophy, and uh, a lot of great stuff there too. So great websites, great material. Get involved in all that stuff. You can help support the show by doing all those different things. All right, this is a listener-generated episode, and it, I love this stuff. I mean, I say, hey, send me stuff, and then people are just flooding my my inbox with all kinds of ideas. I have about three or four more beyond this one. But I thought this one I would combine two emails together to make a to make a show because it focuses on a very interesting historical debate in the 19th century. And that was of course the powers of the central government to coerce the states number 1 and number 2 the powers of the central government or the general government as the founding generation called it in relation to the regulation of slavery in the territories. Now I cover these topics uh, in my courses, but I thought it would, well, not necessarily, the, well, I do the, the coercion of the states. Now, as far as the re, the Republican form of government, which is part of this, okay, I, I don't get into the Republican clause, the form of government clause, as much. So I, I figured doing a podcast on this would be interesting. 
So I want to cover these two things and then go into detail as to um, how these relate to an originalist position. Okay, so um, first and foremost, we have, to, we have to understand that according to the Constitution as ratified, the states had complete control of the domestic concerns within their borders, with some exceptions. And of course, those exceptions are outlined in Article 1, Section 10, essentially. Article 1, Section 10. The states can't do certain things. There's also the Republican form of government clause, right? The states have to, the general government can ensure that the states have a Republican form of government. Now, this is interesting because this is going to get into the issue of slavery in the territories. This is something that John C. Calhoun pointed out when the issue of slavery in the territories was brought up. Okay, but um, we'll talk about that within the territories and in the states as well. So let me read the, the first email, then I'll read the second email, and I'll put them both together. First one. Just had a quick question on the Constitution that has been getting the better of me for quite some time, and yet, and have yet to hear anyone even attempt to tackle this question. As we both know, Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution states, this is, this is the Supremacy Clause, This Constitution, laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, shall be the supreme law of the land. Also, Article 4, Section 4 states, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government, and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of legislature or the executive against domestic violence. He says, coupled with this, we find in Federalist Number 9, Madison quoting Montesquieu, who said, A republic of this kind, able to withstand an external force, may support itself without any internal corruptions. The form of this society prevents all manners of inconveniences. If a single member should attempt to usurp the supreme authority, this would alarm the rest. Were he to subdue a part that would still remain free, might oppose him with the forces independent of those which he, which he had usurped and overpower him before he could settle in, be settled in the usurpation. Should a popular insurrection happen in one of the Confederate states, the others are able to quell it. Should abuses creep into one part, they are reformed by those that remain sound. As this government is composed of small republics and enjoys the internal happiness of each, and with respect to its external situation, it is possessed by means of the association of the advantages of large monarchies. So, uh, and Madison, of course, quotes this um, because he's pointing out that this particular federal republic has security in that it's, it's composed of separate republics. So it has that benefit. So he continues, I want to first begin by saying I am a firm believer in states' rights. This is the, the author of the email. However, however, if I am reading this correctly, it seems to me that the state themselves are duty-bound by this compact to ensure that all states within the compact remain in repu Republican form, and that if necessary, the use of force would and should be used to correct abuses in those states where the government of those states had veered from the Republican form. Okay, so that's a great email. It's a great email, and I will address all of that, okay? Um, but I want to read the next email, because this next email uh, is also interesting in that it brings up another issue. Uh, and so this is about the Pennsylvania ratification debates. Quote, 
I was reading the Pennsylvania ratification debates, and it seems that there was a notion before Pennsylvania ratified the Constitution that the general government will be able to prohibit slavery in any territory gained by the U.S. in the future. It's interesting how this was a contention before the states even ratified the Constitution. My questions are, was there a misunderstanding between the state ratifying states on the role of the general government when it came to this issue or other issues? Did some states ratify the Constitution with the belief that general government could prohibit slavery in the territories, while some states ratified in the belief that they couldn't? Can one use this information to argue the legitimacy of the general government actions in trying to prohibit slavery in the Western territories? That's a very good, good question. So you put these things together, they all have to do with that re- guaranteed clause, the Republican form of government, and the powers of the general government in the territories. And so let me get into these things, because these are fun questions. This is... This is uh, fun stuff to talk about. All right, so first, looking at the first email, you have, of course, the Supremacy Clause in Article 4, Section 4. Now, clearly, if a state in the Union, and I think this is something that was generally understood, if a state in the Union would to uh, abandon its Republican form and, say, move to a monarchy, then that state could not be part of the union. That state could be coerced in that particular way to ensure that it maintains a republican form of government. Now, what does that actually mean? It means it has to be a representative government, not a monarchy. They don't want monarchies within their borders of the union, right? So yes, in that particular way, because that would be in pursuance of the Constitution, a state could be coerced. Now, what type of coercion would be the question? Oliver Ellsworth said, look, a state, a sovereign entity, cannot be coerced in its sovereign capacity. So essentially what you have to do is use some type of legislation to coerce it to ensure that it cannot move to a monarchy. In fact, you could pass a law saying any state in this union has to have a Republican form of government. It cannot have a monarchy. It cannot have a theocracy, for example. It can't do any of that, right? Uh, If you want to say, if the theocracy was not based on representative government. So if it's not Republican in form, then the general government certainly can coerce that state into ensuring that it's a Republican government. Now, this is an interesting question because it gets into what happened with the South, and people would say, well, the South wasn't Republican, it was oligarchic. So this is used now by some to say, well, the South was violating the Constitution in the, in the antebellum period because it was an oligarchic section, right? Well, it really wasn't. It was Republican in form. In fact, John C. Calhoun will point this out over and over. He's a Republican. And the Southerners were Republicans. They had a labor system <clears throat> that was different from the North, but certainly in terms of politically, they were Republican, lowercase r, because they had representative government. There was no oligarchy there. There was no monarchy there. It was a Republican form of government, the same type of Republican form of government that you had in Virginia in 1777, right? Or 1790, same Republican form of government. When the Constitution was ratified, the very same type of government in the South existed then, in 1788. So there was no difference in 1788 and 1861 or 1850 
So when these people run around saying, well, the South didn't have a Republican form of government, they're not even, I mean, it's a historically inaccurate statement. But yes, the general government could guarantee to these states a Republican form of government. Now, could they invade? Could they, you do it by force? I mean, that's, that's another question. I think that there was some open, open discussion on that. What type of coercion would be used to ensure that these states would maintain a Republican form of government? Now, the other question of that is, if the state was out of the union, does this even apply anymore? If a state leaves the union, for example, if the state says, look, I'm out. Uh, California wants to leave the union right now. There are people in California who want to leave the union right now. California secedes from the union, and they create some other type of government besides a Republican form of government. They have some type of monarchy or, or dictatorship, whatever it is. California is free to do that because they're no longer part of the union. So when the South seceded in 1861, 1860-61, they could have created another type of government. They didn't. They had a Republican form of government, but they could have. And then that, that could not have been used as justification to invade the South. Because remember, Article 4 and Article 6 and Article 1, Section 10, only apply to the states that are still in the Union. And if they've left the Union, they're no longer in the Union. The, the Constitution doesn't apply, Right. And so this actually gets down to this question of secession again. Can a state leave the Union? Well, it's not a power prohibited by Article 1, Section 10, so therefore a state can leave the Union. It doesn't say anything about that. So I think that this is a, it's a fun question uh, and one that um, I, I think that needs to be addressed. Now, I'm going to talk about this with the territories in a second. So now we get into this issue of the territories. What about slavery in the territories? So you have, number one, the general government can guarantee a Republican form of government. And then number two, you have the Pennsylvania ratification debates. And this centers exclusively on James Wilson of Pennsylvania, because when you look at the ratification debates in Pennsylvania, essentially the only person that talked in those debates was James Wilson of Pennsylvania. Now, James Wilson of Pennsylvania famously had the State House Yard speech, where he gets up and says, look, here's the situation. We've got a constitution with delegated powers. If it doesn't say you can do it, it can't do it. Now, the states, everything else is on the table. The states, the states can do whatever they want. And he essentially took that same line in the ratification debates. But he did have something very interesting to say, and I've highlighted it because it has to do with this question of slavery in the territories. He says this. Uh, this is on uh, December 3rd, 1787. James Wilson stands up, and he's, he's addressing different arguments against the constitution. And he's talking about the clause where it allows the general government to prohibit the slave trade after 1808. And he says this is a great clause because there was nothing in the Articles of Confederation. I mean, we could have done this. We could have had the slave trade forever. But now this Constitution says we're going, we're going to stop the slave trade, if we can, by legislation after 1808. Um, and he says this. He says, I consider this as laying the foundation for banishing slavery out of this country. And though the period is more distant than I could wish, yet it will produce the same kind, gradual change, which was pursued in Pennsylvania. Now, here is the meat. It is with much satisfaction I view this power in the general government, whereby they may lay an interdiction on this reproachful trade. But an immediate advantage is also obtained, for a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. 
And this, sir, operates as a partial prohibition. It was all that could be obtained. I am sorry it was no more, but from this, I think there is reason to hope that yet a few years, and it will be prohibited altogether, and in the meantime, the new states which are to be formed will be under the control of Congress in this particular, and slaves will never be introduced amongst them. End quote. So what Wilson is saying, this is actually not uh, an issue of um, this particular clause, but what he's saying is that the new states that may be created in the, by, in the Union are under the control of Congress. Now, this is a unique position because at once it's also inconsistent. This is why you have to be very careful of James the Caledonia, James Wilson. But it's an interesting argument because he's saying the general government would control new states. Now, that's the exact opposite as to what Jefferson said in the, in the Northwest uh, uh, Territory when the Northwest Ordinance was written in 1787. Because under that ordinance, yes, the Northwest Territory was closed to slavery. It could not be introduced in the territory itself, but the states could decide because they were on equal footing with the existing states. So Wilson may have been, uh, I think he was, he, was, he, was firm, he firmly believed that the general government could regulate slavery in the territories as a municipal power. And there were certainly members of the founding generation, even the second generation of Americans, like Philip Pendleton Barber, he's from Virginia, who agreed the general government had this power as well, that they could regulate slavery in the territories. Okay, so the general government had this power because they could do it. I mean, they did it with the Northwest Ordinance. They could regulate slavery in the territories. The question always became states. Could the states be subjected to the same power if they were created out of these territories. Well, Wilson, it seems to be saying they could. But to a man, the founding generation rejected that position. The states could not be dictated to when it came to their own domestic or internal affairs. And slavery was one of those things. The states could not. Perhaps the territories, because the general government, it was thought, had municipal power over the territories when it says it can make all needful rules and regulations. Now, Move forward a little bit in time, and now you have this debate. And Calhoun is actually going to use this guarantee clause, guarantee a Republican form of government, against this position. When he says, look, the only thing in the Constitution that it says the general government can do in regard to the territories is guarantee a Republican form of government. And that's the same thing with states. We can't dictate anything else to the states. All we can do is say you, ha you can guarantee a Republican form of government. That's it. And if you look at, and this was actually argued, if you look at the powers of the general government, there's no power in Article 1, Section 8 that the Congress has to regulate slavery anywhere. So does, it, does the Constitution grant powers, municipal powers, because of, say, the, the ability to regulate Washington, D.C., what became Washington, D.C., the federal city? It has municipal powers there, Theoretically, it can do whatever it wants. It can make all the rules for Washington, D.C. Does it have the power then over the territories, the common property of the United States, to do the exact same thing? That was a big question, a huge question. Now, if you follow James Wilson's logic in the Statehouse Yard speech, 
and then you attach that to what Calhoun was saying, then the question becomes rather vague and ambiguous. Wilson himself is arguing two different positions. Um, I think that overall, most of the founding generation thought that slavery could be regulated in the territories. They thought it could be regulated in the territories as a municipal power. However, when it came to the states, there was no way the general government could regulate slavery in the states. This was actually when you got to the Missouri Compromise of 1820. That was essentially James Monroe's position. Look, the Congress cannot dictate to Missouri what kind of constitution they can and cannot have. We can talk about whether this area should be free or slave, and this is why some members of Congress were willing to to, uh, pass the Missouri Compromise because they thought, well, I mean, this is something that's a municipal power we can do. But when it came to Missouri itself, you can't do it. And if there was any other state, you know, for example, north of the southern border of Missouri, if one of these other states, Minnesota, wanted to have slavery, it could have it. In fact, there was some serious discussion about Illinois becoming a slave state at one point. So this was something the states could do because this was not a power denied to the states by anything in the original Constitution. Now, once you get the 13th Amendment, that's a whole different ballgame. But until that point, the states could do whatever they wanted. Now, the territory, again, I'm giving you the southern position when I say, look, um, and later on they use the due process clause, which is a very bad argument. I mean, that's opening the door to all kinds of things. Terrible argument and saying, well, we got the due process clause in the Fifth Amendment that says the general government cannot deny property without due process. Well, that's that's opening the door to all kinds of horrible legislation later on uh, and later court decisions later on. I mean, this this is that was a bad decision by the Tawny Court in Dred Scott. But the, the, the stronger position was, wait a second here, Congress only has the powers, as James Wilson promised in the State House Yard Speech, Congress only has the powers uh, granted to it by Article One. Section 8. And the states, and therefore everything else, are only denied these other powers, right? So if it doesn't say you can regulate slavery anywhere, then you can't regulate slavery. That was actually a stronger legal position, but it's not one that the South moved forward after Dred Scott. Um, They did talk about it. I mean, there was some discussion of that. And this really got into the whole issue of why slavery was important. It was important because of the extension of slavery. And yes, there were individuals in the founding period that wanted to eradicate the institution. The people of Pennsylvania were hostile to the institution of slavery. The, the opponents of the document said it was a pro-slavery document. And Wilson's saying, well, I mean, you got to have, he says before this, you don't understand diplomacy. You got to have a document that's going to be agreeable to all. But hopefully in the future, slavery can be eradicated because uh, of these provisions. We can't have the slave trade anymore after 1808. Hopefully it'll just peter out. We won't have it. It'll it'll be gone because the process is set in motion. If you can't import new slaves, well, then we're going to bottle it up and then maybe maybe we can regulate these territories and eventually the institution will just go away, just like it did here in Pennsylvania. Gradually, gradual change. The same kind, gradual change which was pursued in Pennsylvania. So the question when you, he asks, well, I mean, were there some founders that thought slavery could be regulated? Yes, there were. Were there some founders that thought it couldn't? Yes, there were. This is one area where they were in disagreement. 
on the power of the general government over slavery in the territories. There was certainly disagreement on this particular situation. They were not in disagreement over guaranteeing a Republican form of government. How that would be guaranteed is a question, but they, I mean, it's in the Constitution. So they certainly, they didn't want a situation where you had monarchies, little monarchies all over the Federal Republic. It was a republic of republics, a federal republic. So you had to have republics. This was a, the, the central government was Republican in form, so then the states had to be Republican in form. Now, if a state's out of the union, it can do whatever it wants. Again, I'm going I'm to reiterate that. If a state's out of the union, if you don't have a, uh, if you're not within the, the, if you're not under the Constitution any longer, you can do whatever you want. Now, would that have been considered dangerous? Would people have said, well, this is, this is bad. We don't, we don't necessarily want that. Certainly. I mean, they would consider if, if Great Britain had a, had a monarchical colony right on the border of the United States, that was considered problematic. It's why people like Jefferson wanted to keep acquiring territory, because you eliminated that prospect. You had France with the Louisiana Purchase with an emperor, and so you had that kind of government right on the border of the United States. Well, let's get rid of that. Same thing with Spain and, and Florida. I mean, let's get rid of that. We don't, we don't want that here. We want to have Republican governments. This is the empire of liberty. We want to have Republican governments. And Jefferson was very clear. He thought, well, you know, we can get this Western territory. And at one point, maybe that will break away. And we'll have sister republics right next to us. They won't be monarchical. They'll be sister republics because we've given them republicanism. So he didn't think necessarily that you had to keep keep adding territory. And these had to become part of, an, of, a, of a real empire. But that they could break away. And that empire of liberty, it was more... Uh, ideological, theoretical, than simply borders, right? So it was the it was the spirit that was important there. But definitely, I mean, there were there were debates about how this and this is this is why this issue was never resolved because there were members of the founding generation that thought one way and members that thought the other. But when you look at James Wilson and what he said, because that state house yard speech was printed more than anything else. When you look at a ratification speech in the Pennsylvania Convention, these were eventually published. But, 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 everyone was working in the other states off the State House Yard speech. In fact, people responded to it all the time. No one really responded to his speeches in the ratifying convention in Pennsylvania. They certainly responded to the State House Yard speech. Uh, and, of course, uh, in, the, in the ratification convention, Wilson's trying to persuade enough pro-Constitution people this is what's going to happen here in Pennsylvania. But the Statehouse Yard speech was published all over what became the United States under the Constitution. And so people were looking at it and saying, well, I mean, this is what Wilson's saying. The states have all this authority. Uh, the general government doesn't have any. So I think that's more important. It's more important to understand that particular position we have, we, have, we have the ratification debates in Pennsylvania, which are for Pennsylvania. And then you have the Statehouse Yard speech, which was for a broader audience. That's the James Wilson that people were responding to. Now, of course, when you have the, the opponents of the document, they would respond to James Wilson in both ways. Um, they would do that. I mean, you had uh, an old Whig, and, um, you know, so that was uh, important in, in Pennsylvania, that particular writer. Uh, going after the Constitution, but then Wilson was, was responding to those arguments from the minority uh, as well in this ratifying convention. So these are very interesting questions. Um, you know, as far as the argument of states' rights, the first question, 
Uh, I would say that, um, look, it depends on what kind of coercion is going to be used. I think overall, the founding generation did not think that the states could be coerced uh, through violent means unless the states applied for it. Right? Said, look, the legislature, the governor says, look, we've got an insurrection here. We've got we to gotta knock this down. Certainly then the general government could use force against the states. And if they tried to have some type of form of government that was not Republican in form, that would be grounds for using some type of force against the states. Just like if the states uh, did something that violated Article 1, Section 10, there could be some kind of force used against the states as long as they were in the Union. That's the, that's the main point that I want to make with this. As long as they were in the Union. So you can still be a states' rights guy and still understand the Constitution does have restrictions on the states. I mean, they're there. That's where, in pursuance thereof, comes into play. This is where people, you know, well, you, you nullifiers believe you can nullify anything. No, you can't. You can't nullify anything you want to nullify. It has to be an unconstitutional piece of legislation. If it's not an unconstitutional piece of legislation, you can't, you can't nullify it. Right? I mean, if you're following Article 1, Section 8, you can't nullify those things if the general government is doing those, uh, uh, following those powers. The problem is how the Necessary and Proper Clause has been interpreted, for example, the Commerce Clause, the expansion of these. And this is where you really need to get back into the original understanding of those particular clauses so that you don't abuse power. The general government cannot abuse power. So there's no inconsistency there. And the other one, the other question, did the founding generation have different views of the issue? Absolutely. I think there were certainly different views of the issue, which is why you had this Missouri debate in 1819, because you still have members of the founding generation hanging around at that particular point. And so there was, there was considerable debate about the powers of the general government in terms of slavery in the territories. Now, overall, that particular uh, issue was settled, at least for a time, by the Missouri Compromise. But remember, Monroe, who was president, member of the founding generation, said, look, I, you cannot deny a state to have its own kind of constitution. This is exactly what James Wilson was saying in the State House Yard speech. Now, the territories are another question. And if the general government could prohibit slavery in the territories, that would set slavery on the path to extinction. There's no doubt about it. Um, so that was a bit, that was the heart of the debate, right? Could, it wasn't about the place where it already existed because the general government knew it had no power there, but could it extend? It could always extend through the states, even in New if Massachusetts wanted to have the institution again, it could have. Uh, that was never a question. Um, so this is these are good questions. Keep them coming. I really enjoy these these type of uh, these type of episodes because I get to uh, to ramble on about uh, historical issues. And Calhoun, I mean, I'll say this again: Calhoun was one that was saying because the states. Because the general government had to guarantee, the only thing it could do was guarantee a Republican form of government, well, then you couldn't do anything other than that in the territory. So that's one of the arguments Calhoun would make when it came to uh, slavery in the territories. Um, he also defended, for example, Michigan coming into the Union, of course, as a free state, because the, the, uh, the state of Michigan could do whatever it wanted in this particular uh, issue. So, and the people of the state, of course, decided the state and when it became a state. I mean, this is, this is important. So, anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you soon.